listening to St. Pius X Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. This weekend we celebrate the Ascension of our Lord. Today's Ascension Sunday. It was formerly known as Ascension Thursday, uh, and then they moved it to Sunday, and it was a holy day of obligation. And as we think of celebrating the Ascension, the greatest, I guess, thought is the beautiful love that God has for us in that he not only promises the forgiveness of our sins, he not only promises to lead and guide us, he promises to nourish us, he promises to restore us to exactly the condition we were in before the fall, to make us fully in the image and likeness of God by the gift of his grace. So you have four parts of the Paschal mystery, passion, death, and then of course resurrection, and many people stop there, but it's actually the ascension of Jesus where he goes, we are going to follow if we are his disciples. And so we will be restored not only in spirit, but in body. And many of the uh, times that I've preached about this, I always make the joke, if we're gonna be like Adam and Eve again, uh, we're going to be naked without shame, and, and so I need to get to Reds and start working out a little harder. And as you also know, we've been working through the sacraments during this Easter season, and today it's the Eucharist. And as we look at our gospel reading today, it's the Great Commission from Matthew's gospel. We talked about this when we talked about baptism. And so go, Jesus says to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But then he makes a promise. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. In some translations, the end of time. That promise is kept in the Eucharist. Jesus is with us until the end of time. So in every tabernacle around the world, we know that that promise is being kept in his true and real presence with us here on earth. And in order to understand the real presence, because there have been some polls done recently that say that most Catholics don't believe in the real presence. I don't necessarily believe in polls, uh, but obviously there is some doubt. And in this age of science and being able to see and feel and touch and know uh, certain things, it's kind of funny. We, we believe things that are completely untrue that really are unfounded, and then we don't believe other things uh, that are right in our face. And so in order to understand our teaching, we have to go back to what we talked about in baptism. And that is that we have an apostolic church, right? that the apostles were given a special gift of teaching. And so we hear that in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the apostles were given that special gift, that special charism of being able to teach. And the teaching of the apostles from very early was always the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ, that there is a real presence sacramentally of Jesus, really and truly. 
And throughout our history, even for the first thousand years of our, of our Christian history, there was never any doubt about that. There was never any doubt for a thousand years. And then there were a few theologians around the year 1000 that kind of questioned it. Uh, but even, and they were dismissed, but even in the Protestant Reformation, you know, Martin Luther believed in the real presence. Our Protestant brothers and sisters, him being the lead, believed in the real presence. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the publishings that uh, was uh, on him, well, from him, uh, it was called the Sacrament of the Body and Blood of Christ against the Fanatics. Meaning you're a fanatic if you did not believe in the real presence of Christ. And so we think of our history has always been a firm, solid teaching about the real presence. And so where this doubt creeps in, I don't know. We make an act of faith. And Jesus does say that it's a hard teaching. He agrees with that in the Bread of Life discourse, which we'll talk about in a minute. I think it's important for us to remember that in order for us to be friends with Christ, we have to do what he commands. And we just finished up in the last few weeks our first communion uh, masses. And my favorite days of the year, it's absolutely beautiful. But when we're preparing the children for first communion, for those of you who don't get to go, we, we prepare them with a little catechesis. And it's, it's very simple. And we ask them the question, you know, why? do we go to Mass? Why do we have Mass? And the answer is the Last Supper. And so we teach the children that. And it's a little bit of fun during Mass because I ask them and they say, why do we go to Mass? And they all yell, the Last Supper, you know? And everybody gets a little chuckle out of it and then they're, they're never loud enough when we get in the church. So it's a little louder. Everybody in the back can't hear you. And then scream a little louder, reverently scream. I said, the Last Supper. And then I said, and then why do we believe the Eucharist is Jesus? And they say, John 6. Big yell. Get a little louder. John 6. And you know, I noted then, and I still wonder now, okay, how, how many adult Catholics, if I ask those two very simple questions about a critical part of our faith, could give those answers? Because Jesus commanded us at the Last Supper to do this in remembrance of him. And Jesus doubled down, and doubled, doubled down in the Bread of Life discourse about his real presence. In our baptism, as we mentioned, there's an attempt by God throughout the Old Testament for us to be able to be in union with him. It began with Noah as a foreshadowing. And we talk about the flood. God wiped all evil away and started all over again. And that didn't work. It didn't take Noah too long and his family to become fallen to sin again. And then in the Exodus, it wasn't just about going through the water, getting through the Red Sea. God led and guided and fed them along the way. And that still wasn't good enough. So then God comes himself. And in the Eucharist and in the sacraments in general, says, I'm going to do it for you if you let me. My only rule is that I can't impair your freedom. I can't, I can't help it if you say no. If you don't want to believe, you don't want to believe, I can't make you. And maybe that's where the doubt about the Eucharist comes in. What do we want to believe? 
As I mentioned a moment ago, it seems like people want to believe things that are silly, like what's a man and a woman, and they don't want to believe things that are so clear about what Christ taught. And so in John 6, I think there are some things that are good to note, and we're going to work through uh, verses 51 to 58 because it's important to hear it, and then a few things that really should strike us for this homily. Jesus said to the crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living father sent me and I have life because of the father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. Okay, so we hear the words of Jesus that are just so clear. He's, he's not backing away. He's telling us the Eucharist at the Last Supper, this is my body, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And in his divine nature, which is why both natures are so important, he is able to give us this sacrament to live within us. And so in baptism, God's going to do it for us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of God himself, leading and prompting us along the way. And then this food for the journey that we won't die like our ancestors did in the desert, the manna from heaven, but we will live forever. And he says that whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. He's within us. But he knows that our decision to follow him is made daily, if you want to put it that way, or hourly. Are we going to say yes? Now, most of us are on cruise control in many ways. Yes, I'm going to do what God asks of me. But in the end, it is that act of the will, the desire to believe that is at its core in any of the faith lives that any religion has anywhere. And so he remains in us and we are now in him. And then he says, the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. So it's not just about him indwelling. He's going to do it for us. We're going to have life because of him. And so we are able to know that within us is the gift of his grace. And that's what we say the old person is shed and the new person comes alive. And particularly during this Easter season, we think of the change, the conversion that we want to have. We want to be better. And the Eucharist, the feeding of us, is at its core. You know, as we think of reception of the body and blood of Christ, we can sometimes make the extraordinary very ordinary because it becomes a habit. 
And we should never, ever take for granted the gift of the Eucharist, the gift of God's love for us. As I've mentioned before, we are the only religion, Christianity, the only religion who does not believe that mankind pursues God. We believe that God pursues us. He's only seeking our good, enough to where God sent his only son to do it for us. And as we think of when we come into the church, the reverence and respect that we need to have in order to see and to believe what the Eucharist is, those references are not for God. They're for us to remind us of how special receiving the Eucharist is and how we should always cherish this gift. We should always know that God's love is available to us daily if we so choose. And we hope that as we move forward that our faith in the Eucharist, understanding that love of God, can by the gift of his grace become ever stronger, ever deeper. And our discipleship and our image and likeness of God can ever be strengthened by him. This year, uh, we begin in a couple of weeks uh, the uh, Eucharistic revival that the bishop has asked for in light of those polls of Catholics who maybe don't believe in the real presence. But knowing the history, everybody before us believed. Everybody did. The church teaching has been the same. The apostles taught it. You go through all of those things that maybe we need to renew our zeal for the understanding of that love God has and to receive it and cherish it in order to, for us, get the gift of eternal life that Christ promises and we pray that we will be able to do so. We'll start Corpus Christi with the Eucharistic revival. We'll have our procession as usual here in the church in adoration. But it would be good as we have these events throughout the year to sharpen and to deepen our faith, to understand, like I said, that great love God has for us, that he's willing to do everything for us if we're willing to let him be a part of our life. And in that, he will be with us until the end of time. He will never abandon us. We can always trust him. We need not be afraid. And if we do that, then our life here becomes much better. But ultimately, eternal life, that restoration, the ascension that we will all experience becomes a reality.